This podcast is brought to you by MyPillow.com and its revolutionary new product, MyPillow 2.0. Go to Mike Lindell's website, MyPillow.com, and order the new MyPillow 2.0 and get two pillows for one when you use the promo code Navarro. Again, use the promo code Navarro. That's N-A-V-A-R-R-O. That's MyPillow.com. Use that promo code Navarro. Now, here's former Trump manufacturing czar Peter Navarro with his Taking Back Trump's America podcast and Substack. Hi, Peter Navarro here. It's April 12, 2023, and in this episode of the Taking Back Trump's America podcast and Substack, we're going to finish up our interview with Alex Gray, focusing in this episode on the problems communist China is causing in Taiwan, as well as in the South Pacific. This is one of the most overlooked dangers now being generated by Communist China, its adventures in the South Pacific, where the Imperial Japanese Navy once roamed as it prepared to attack America at Pearl Harbor. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. So please listen very carefully to this interview and spread the word. And remember, you can go to peternavarro.substack.com, peternavarro.substack.com, and get the rest of the story. Let's shift now uh, to the issue of Taiwan. Uh, the, the joke around Beijing and Shanghai, you know, what do you call an American aircraft carrier? A target. And the essence of the Chinese, the communist Chinese military strategy in the South um, China Sea and the East China Sea is asymmetric warfare. It's the notion of being able to take down a multi-billion dollar aircraft carrier with a million dollar missile. And so they have the largest missile arsenal in the world. It takes seven minutes to shoot a missile from the mainland of China and hit uh, the palace um, in Taiwan. Um, and one of the things uh, I loved uh, when we were in the White House, you, you came up with a list of the kinds of things Taiwan could be doing asymmetrically to fight back. So give me your assessment of what McCarthy did with the Taiwan president, whether that was smart um, and and more broadly, what the Biden regime should be doing in terms right now um, of our Taiwan policy. Look, the Speaker McCarthy's meeting with with Tsai Ing-wen, that's fine. It's just talk. I I don't think it, it moves the needle one way or the other. I think it is important that the speaker showed that he's not going to be bullied by Beijing into not uh, not having a meeting that he wanted to have because the CCP says don't do it. Um, so to me, that that's fine. Where the rubber meets the road is, one, uh, the Taiwanese have to continue to grow their defense spending. They're totally, they're well below what they need to be at in terms of percentage of GDP for the existential threat that they face. And we have to put pressure on them um, in a way that we haven't with too many of our allies until President Trump came along. We have to put that pressure on them that we're only gonna have their back if they make the type of commitment that we need uh, to see from them to show they're serious about resisting invasion. Uh, You know, Peter, the types of things that they need to do they're not sexy. They're not the types of things that, um, you know, I think a lot of the Taiwanese generals and admirals wanna do, but they're things like, uh, they need to be buying sea mines. They need to be buying uh, mobile, portable anti-ship missiles that can be put on the back of a truck and moved around beaches to target landing craft if the Chinese come ashore. Uh, they need to be buying Stinger missiles. And every I've argued publicly, every police station in Taiwan 
should have multiple Stinger missiles. The cops should be trained in how to use them. And so they can start targeting the Chinese helicopters that are going to come in prior to the invasion to lay the, predi the predicate for, uh, for the amphibious assault. Uh, they, they also need to take a, a page from the Ukrainians in, in one instance, which is they need to have gun clubs. You know, Taiwan doesn't have a, a gun culture particularly, but they need to, they need to get one because, you know, as the Ukrainians have learned, one of the most potent examples of their resistance has been these groups of volunteers who taught themselves uh, in the years after the Russian invasion in 2014 how to shoot. Uh, and they formed up in a in a uh, organic way, and they've been incredibly effective at halting the Russian advance. The Taiwanese have to get serious about their own defense, and they have to start forming those type of, of self-defense collectives. So I think these are all tangible things they could be doing. Uh, what I'd like to see is the Biden administration holding them accountable and holding ourselves accountable to spend the type of money we need to spend on the type of systems, you mentioned missiles, um, you know, right now, we don't have nearly the arsenal and the stockpile of sophisticated anti-ship and anti-air missiles that we need to have in the Pacific theater to deter and to defeat China. Um, and, and those are the types of investments that the Biden administration isn't making and needs to be making. Alex, um, on, the, on the issue of defense expenditures by Taiwan, uh, is it that they, they can't afford it? Um, or is it something that are their politics sufficiently split between pro mainland and, and anti mainland that it's difficult to do that? I mean, what's what's going on there? They, they, because I mean, they're basically relying on the kindness of a uh, United States, which uh, can be an uncertain trumpet, to say the least. Yeah, Peter, the. This is a domestic political issue in Taiwan, where you have one party, the KMT, uh, that, that traditionally has been much closer to the, the mainland and to the Chinese communists. Uh, the former president of Taiwan, of the KMT party, uh, Ma Ying-jeou, was actually meeting with Xi Jinping uh, just a couple of days ago, while the current president was in, was in the United States. So just to give you an idea of the divisions within Taiwan, uh, the Taiwanese economy is one of the most uh, resilient, most vibrant, robust in the world. They can spend significantly more than 2% of their GDP on defense. Um, you look yeah. at what Israel spends, you look at what some of the countries in Europe spend, there's no reason Taiwan should be, given the existential threat, spending anything less than 5% of GDP. And by the way, if they develop this, use some of that productive capacity to produce their own weapons, uh, that would generate um, prosperity and higher wages and all of that. Um, the, the mine thing has always been a, a bug of mine because um, it, it's, it's, it's the porcupine strategy, like the single best way to uh, repel the Chinese because they're going to come in boats uh, would be to salt those uh, seas with, with mines. Um, let's, um, in the few minutes we have remaining, I want to leverage your expertise um, tell tell the audience first that what you did out in places like uh, Micronesia, and th this the problem here is the projection of soft power by the communist Chinese handing out a bunch of money, taking over the governments um, in the South Pacific, and basically setting up the same kind of chain of islands that the Imperial Japanese used to to attack the Americans first and then to resist the Americans. Talk a little bit about that, Alex, because you, you were really out there in the trenches. 
Yeah, thanks, Peter. So I was the first person, uh, President Trump created a role that was uh, director for the Pacific Islands within the National Security Council. And the purpose of that role, first time that had ever been created, was the realization that China was moving in heavily, as you say, through soft power, but ultimately with the goal of establishing military bases all through the islands that U.S. Marines and soldiers had given their lives for to recapture in World War II from Imperial Japan. And so what I set out to do with my NSC colleagues and, and colleagues in the throughout the Trump administration was to build a U.S. presence in the region. Uh, we, had, we really had retreated, uh, taken it for granted and retreated since the Cold War uh, to resist Chinese domination. And you described very well debt trap diplomacy, what they do with Belt and Road. Um, they take the what they call elite capture. They go into these small developing islands and they send, they pay for the elites to go and, and spend months in Beijing. They wind them and dine them. Sometimes they turn them into formal assets. Sometimes they just exert influence and, and make them agents of influence when they return home. Uh, you've seen this in the Solomon Islands. You've seen this in a little country called Kiribati. Uh, the Chinese are determined to take over these islands. And the reason this matters for Americans is the same reason it mattered to our, our parents and grandparents in World War II. These islands are strategically located between the west coast of the United States, Hawaii, and East Asia. If you're trying to move U.S. Navy ships and aircraft to Taiwan or the Korean Peninsula in the conflict, you have to get past these islands. And if the Chinese have military bases, if they have access to these islands, they're going to be able to prevent our passage through them. Uh, and that's incredibly dangerous. So these look like obscure spots on the map, but they are a life and death struggle in our effort to keep the CCP from dominating East Asia. Is there any uh, sign that the Biden regime has any clue about this? Have they picked up uh, your cudgel and, and continued... Your noble efforts are, uh, is that a dead letter? Well, they certainly have, have focused on it, but it's much more been uh, climate change and the rights of indigenous people. Um, some of these things, you know, I, I understand where they're coming from on, on some of the, the historical issues that they faced, you know, we faced in the region with nuclear testing and things like that. But what they've ignored is the fact that the Chinese are focused on using soft power, using elite capture, using loans to build substantive military hard power bases all across this region and simply apologizing for past US actions or talking about climate change isn't going to move the needle in terms of our ability to keep those sea lanes open for, for the US Navy. Um, so to me, it's been an a-strategic approach that's much more focused on, on ideology than it is on what the United States has to do strategically uh, to continue our preeminent position in the region. Yeah, and we see uh, exactly that same playbook uh, where we began talking about uh, Kamala Harris in Africa, uh, talking, talking her progressive woke um, issues. Um, this has been great, Alex. Um, give us um, your coordinates. Uh, how best can they communicate? You're out there in Oklahoma um, and very politically involved out there, and that's a good thing. How can uh, the War Room Posse help you uh, uh, work at the grassroots out there on these issues? 
Yeah, you can uh, you can follow me on uh, Truth Social, and uh, you can also uh, follow me on Twitter. And I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, right out here in Oklahoma, we are at the front lines of Chinese influence in uh, in the United States. The Chinese are buying property all over Oklahoma, buying up our farmland, and we need every Oklahoman to be engaged on this issue. Uh, this isn't just something in the Pacific and East Asia. This is a, a battle we're fighting at home too. All right, my brother, we're going to get you on Getter too. Uh, it's been it's been great. Uh, we will see you the next time on the War Room. Now I'm uh, I'm just going to finish up here um, for some information about what I'm doing. It's all about the Substack right now. Peter Navarro, uh, Substack.com. Please go there. Peter Navarro.substack.com. Uh, Bandit's War Room is every day. It's the heavyweight 15 round fight goes the distance every time. What I'm trying to do uh, is give you short little jabs uh, that you can absorb. Uh, Try to do the best short form podcast at Substack. So PeterNavarro.substack.com. The admiral will be back tomorrow. Navarro. Look around But tell me what you see Every day More people in the street Too bad They sent our jobs away In China They're not workers They're just slaves People wait it's a world of trade and greed And the CEOs get richer And our jobs all move offshore 